The Reluctant Conformist A book by Richard Cowley Chapter 3, Episode 2 The Mariner An unscheduled landfall was necessary to put ashore a gravely injured seaman at the former whaling port of Albany, Western Australia. Alaskan donkeyman suffered terrible steam burns to his upper body, head and arms whilst attending to the main engine boilers. During the daily soup-blowing procedure, a drain-cock flange on the high-pressure steam line failed, jetting superheated steam over the hapless crewman. Magnus arrived on the turbine control platform just as the injured Indian staggered from behind the starboard boiler. His shirt and most of his vest had been blown away. His normally slicked-back hair was standing on end. His scorched face was soot-black, except for two terrified white eyes and a horribly gaping purple mouth. It was as though he'd been smoking a trick cigar that had exploded with mighty force. The brown skin of his forearms had melted away, exposing seared red-raw flesh. Most shocking of all was the way he walked and groaned as he went. He held his arms out from his sides and moved with great care in a rolling gait, following the ship's progress. All was slow motion, lest contact with the blistering hot steel surrounds scuffed off more cooped flesh. I doubt he'll live long, the second engineer muttered to nobody in particular. It doesn't take much to finish these people off. They give up too easy. Later, in Port Said, Egypt, the ship's captain received notice that the injured donkeyman had been transferred to a special Burns hospital in Perth, and it seemed probable he'd pull through. Ironically, the ship's high-pressure boiler pipework had undergone a successful hammer test insurance survey whilst berthed in Melbourne. It may be that the heavy-handed, blacksmith-style safety inspection weakened the rusty flange enough for it to blow off and barbecue the donkeyman a day or two later. Back in South Shields, the old party gang was reunited in reverie, with Magnus an active member, full of added gusto and self-destructive zest. Study was half-hearted and lectures missed. Life spiralled down into a pattern of immature selfishness and general disinterest. Daily lubrication at the local pub kept him and his mates immune from the inevitable consequences of their reckless behaviour. An acrimonious separation from element lines was the result of Magnus and his colleagues unwisely exposing their extortionate landlady to the arbitrational dictates of a rent tribunal, an action their employer vehemently objected to. After a light-hearted spell as a jobbing painter amongst the mainly female workers at Wright's Biscuit Factory in South Shields, there followed a miserable few months in the dull queues on the Isle of Man. Magnus gleaned a modicum of self-respect and independence by landing a summer job delivering beer round the island for Mannington's Brewery. Whilst dressing for work one morning, he noticed a muscular and healthy-looking individual looking back at him from the bedroom mirror. He was surprised at how the heavy work of humping beer crates and rocking hefty barrels of bitter beer onto their chocked place on wooden stillage had reshaped his body and that was regardless of the generous quantities of free beer that was drunk and enjoyed at each pub visited. 
cast as a failure at nineteen, but instinctively the optimist, who may eventually learn from his mistakes, Magnus continued to seek sponsored education that could lead to worthwhile employment. After several months of frustration, awaiting a positive reply to job applications from the twice-daily postal delivery, he received an offer. His potential employer was Christian Salveson, a company that had been one of the biggest whaling companies in the world, with a blubber-rendering slaughterhouse located on the isolated and desolate island of South Georgia. The icy and windswept hell was located in the South Atlantic Ocean, approximately due east of Cape Horn, and a mere 12 degrees of latitude north of the Antarctic Circle. He attended an interview with Salversons at Leith, the seaport for Scotland's capital, Edinburgh. There he was offered the continuation of his marine engineering cadetship. I've discussed your behaviour with Element, and agree with them that you've acted foolishly and irresponsibly. You were in South Shields to study marine engineering, not fight social issues, stated the portly, humorless Salverson Marine Superintendent, trying to stamp his hairy-nosed authority on Magnus's forehead. He continued, Even considering this, Salverson's is prepared to give you a second chance, for which you should be eternally grateful. Oh, yes, sir, I will, Magnus replied sincerely. I'm most grateful, and you won't regret placing your faith in me. <laughs> I had to laugh at this obsequious outburst. However, in all fairness, there can be little doubt Magnus meant it when he said it, but I doubt it would last. I'm sorry, but I'm forgetting my manners. Let me introduce myself. I'm Magnus's ever-present inner voice, sneeringly ridiculed by skeptics as the ghost within the meme machine. I'm his spark of life, the scintillating burst that flashes into existence at the moment of conception to animate his physical and psychic being. I'm his unique life force, made manifest with the fusion of his parents' quarantined essences. I colonize each cell of Magnus's body to energize the 150 trillion mitochondria that power his subconscious mind from where memory is configured to illuminate consciousness. I complete his being as keeper of his lifelong self-plex, in which is preserved every thought, dream, and sensory action of our codependent existence. I retain these remembrances, which are ultimately passed over within the psychic aura into the ever-growing pool of collective experience. I'm both the observer and archivist of every aspect of Magnus's being, and as such, know him better than he chooses to know himself. In this regard, he's little different to most people, in that he lives within the delusional constraints of habitual behavior. As a nineteen-year-old, Magnus almost exclusively inhabits the purely material world, although occasionally he becomes entangled within, and is confused by, aspects of his elusive transcendent nature. Even though I'm with him every nanosecond, of every hour, of every day, know all his beliefs and secrets, he is all but ignorant of my existence. Having been at Magnus's shoulder throughout his life, I'm alert to the reservations lurking at the back of his mind about a career as a marine engineer. 
I believe that with these misgivings, Magnus's life on the ocean waves would be, at best, short-lived. For some young bloods, being an engineer at sea offered a marvellous future, an irresistible opportunity to maintain magnificent machinery, resolve complex mechanical and electrical problems, or escape from the chilling drudgery of shipyard routine. For others, it may appear to be a prison sentence, caged in an unbearably noisy, blisteringly hot and dangerous dungeon of an engine room. Crutch enlivening prickly heat is one of the discomforts endured by many who venture into the sweat box below decks. The daily dietary supplement of salt tablets taken to fend off stomach-churning fireman's cramp may gift the seamen with hardening of the arteries and high blood pressure, leading to face-hanging strokes later in life. These slow-working poison pills usually gulp down with gallons of Captain Cook's lime juice cure for scurvy were to replace the vital electrolytes and body fluids lost from being permanently drenched in sweat working below decks. For Magnus, the adventure of travelling to faraway places was immensely exciting, although, on closer inspection, some places with exotic names and risque reputations proved to be less appealing than imagined. For instance, to find Bombay, it wasn't necessary to be guided by the ship's maps or compass, or rely upon the experience of a ship's pilot. From ten miles offshore, the quartermaster could steer the ship safely into port simply by following the stench from the city's fermenting sewerage discharge. At sea, the engineering was practical, challenging, and always interesting. Unfortunately, the workplace was a hellhole. For Magnus, working in a ship's engine room was akin to going on a country drive whilst cooped up under the bonnet of the car with only the unbearably noisy engine for company. It was always greasy and sweaty hot, seeing nothing and often unaware of whether it was day or night outside. Not an ideal existence for one who was at heart an outdoors-loving country boy. When offered employment with Salvisons, Magnus suppressed these misgivings in order to regain an occupation that offered a livelihood and potential security through continued education and employment. His misgivings weren't confined to the hideous working conditions or living with the retching stench of putrefied blubber which was reputed to be so cloyingly persistent that the rancid reek oozed from the whaler's paws for months after the paying off at the end of a voyage. Nor was it the horror of decks strewn with dismembered whale carcasses, or scuppers awash with sloshing reservoirs of icy blood. No, that wasn't the sum total of his apprehension. Late one night, at the Hamburg docks, while still employed by element lines, he'd witnessed the Scottish crew of a Salveson's whaling ship at play, and the encounter had been chillingly impressive and mightily educational. Magnus's ship, the pride of the fleet, the beautiful city of Port Elizabeth, aboard which he and other guest cadets had taken passage during their first Easter break from college, docked late at night in Hamburg. A small party, Magnus, another cadet, and a couple of engineers, went shoreside for a nightcap at the Cabbage Patch, a notorious dockside haunt. Before reaching the pub, it was obvious from the hallabaloo that a major battle was underway. 
police cars with flashing lights were everywhere, and a contingent of giant German policemen, armed with skull-cracking nightsticks and dangerous-looking handguns, stood about quietly, waiting for the fracas to die down. The railed-off courtyard, surrounding the cabbage patch, was a blur of red and black as a waterfall of scruffy, tartan-clad buccaneer lookalikes poured through the windows and doorways to continue their free-for-all with anyone who wasn't one of their own. Magnus learned that the clannish thugs were the white Scottish crew of a Salverson ship who, like the whalers of old, were letting off steam after a prolonged period hunting and rendering down majestic whales in icy climes. Even after repeatedly being turned away by the police, the electrical engineer in Magnus's party remained doggedly determined to brave the riot and enter the cabbage patch. No English, no Scottish peoples in patch tonight, ordered the Goliath policeman guarding the entry gate. But there's somebody I must see, the electrician whined. No English, no Scottish men, repeated the policeman with a calm, detached authority that brooked no challenge and suggested the mayhem was normal. Is Coca-Cola Hannah in tonight? the electrician asked the buxom blonde, leaning against the courtyard side of the railings, away from the faltering mayhem. Coca-Cola not on game no more, the blonde replied. She goes straight, work as Clippy on Hamburg Metro, not to let the night go unexplored and adopting the sound nautical dictate of any port in a storm, the electrician propositioned the blonde. <laughs> no chance, she laughingly replied. I on job lot. I go to Scottish men's ship when they finish fun, smashing heads. Later, ejected from the patch, well pleased with their night's entertainment, the shabby, battle-weary Scottish crew from the Leith-based whaler shuffled past Magnus's group. Amongst the ragged rabble, one figure stood out, the blonde working girl, ready to ply her trade until the early hours. The randy electrician looked on, hardly able to contain his jealous irritation. In a final fling of frustration, he tried to charm any of the remaining women to service his needs, but without success. That night it seemed, no English. No Scottish, applied not only to the entertainment in the cabbage patch, but also to the electrician's desire to sample any dockland delights.